0: section sixty three of mark twain a biography part two nineteen o seven to nineteen ten this librivox recording is in the public domain mark twain a biography by albert bigelow Payne, chapter two hundred and seventy four citizen and farmer the procession of guests at stormfield continued pretty steadily clemens kept a book in which visitors set down their names and the dates of arrival and departure And when they failed to attend to these matters he diligently did it himself after they were gone members of the harper company came up with their wives angelfish swam in and out of the aquarium bermuda friends came to see the new home robert collier the publisher and his wife mrs sally as clemens liked to call her paid their visits lord northcliffe who was visiting america came with colonel harvey and was so impressed with the architecture of Stormfield that he adopted its plans for a country place he was about to build in Newfoundland. Helen Keller with Mr. and Mrs. Macy came up for a weekend visit. Mrs. Crane came over from Elmira, and, behold, one day came the long-ago sweetheart of his childhood, little Laura Hawkins, Laura Fraser now, widowed and in the seventies, with a granddaughter already a young lady quite grown up that Mark Twain was not wearying of the new conditions we may gather from a letter written to Mrs. Rogers in October. I've grown young in these months of dissipation here, and I have left off drinking. It isn't necessary now. Society and theology are sufficient for me. To Helen Allen, a Bermuda angelfish, he wrote, we have good times here in this soundless solitude on the hilltop. The moment I saw the house, I was glad I built it, and now I am gladder and gladder all the time. I was not dreaming of living here except in the summer time. That was before I saw this region and the house, you see but that is all changed now. I shall stay here winter and summer both, and not go back to New York at all. My child, it's as tranquil and contenting as Bermuda. You will be very welcome here, dear." He interested himself in the affairs and in the people of Reading, Not long after his arrival he had gathered in all the inhabitants of the countryside, neighbors of every quality, for closer acquaintance, and threw open to them for inspection every part of the new house. He appointed Mrs. Lounsbury, whose acquaintance was very wide, a sort of committee on reception, and stood at the entrance with her to welcome each visitor in person. It was a sort of gala day and the rooms and the grounds were filled with the visitors in the dining-room there were generous refreshments again not long afterward he issued a special invitation to all of those architects builders and workmen who had taken any part however great or small in the building of his home mr and mrs littleton were visiting stormfield at this time and both Clemens and Littleton spoke to these assembled guests from the terrace, and made them feel that their efforts had been worthwhile. Presently the idea developed to establish something that would be of benefit to his neighbors, especially to those who did not have access to much reading matter. He had been for years flooded with books by authors and publishers, and there was a heavy surplus at his home in the city. When these began to arrive, he had a large number of volumes set aside as the nucleus of a public library. An unused chapel not far away, it could be seen from one of his windows, was obtained for the purpose. Officers were elected, a librarian was appointed, and so the Mark Twain Library of Reading was duly established. Clemens himself was elected its first president, with the resident physician, Dr. Ernest H. Smith, vice-president, and another resident, William E. Grunman, librarian. On the afternoon of its opening, the president made a brief address. He said, I am here to speak a few instructive words to my fellow farmers. I suppose you are all farmers. I am going to put in a crop next year, when I have been here long enough and know how. I couldn't make a turnip stay on a tree now after I had grown it. I like to talk. It would take more than the redding air to make me keep still, and I like to instruct people. It's noble to be good, and it's nobler to teach others To be good, and less trouble. I am glad to help this library. We get our morals from books. I didn't get mine from books, but I know that morals do come from books, theoretically at least. Mr. Beard or Mr. Adams will give some land, and by and by we are going to have a building of our own." This statement was news to both Mr. Beard and Mr. Adams, and an inspiration of the moment. But Mr. Theodore Adams, who owned a most desirable site, did in fact promptly resolve to donate it for library purposes. Clemens continued, "'I am going to help build that library with contributions from my visitors,' every male guest who comes to my house will have to contribute a dollar or go away without his baggage a characteristic notice to guests requiring them to contribute a dollar to the library building fund was later placed on the billiard-room mantel at stormfield with good results if those burglars that broke into my house recently had done that they would have been happier now, or if they'd have broken into this library they would have read a few books and led a better life. Now they are in jail, and if they keep on they will go to Congress. When a person starts downhill you can never tell where he's going to stop. I am sorry for those burglars. They got nothing that they wanted and scared away most of my servants. Now we are putting in a burglar alarm instead of a dog. Some advised the dog, but it costs even more to entertain a dog than a burglar. I am having the ground electrified so that for a mile around anyone who puts his foot across the line sets off an alarm that will be heard in Europe. Now I will introduce the real President to you, a man whom you know already, Dr. Smith. So a new and important benefit was conferred upon the community, and there was a feeling that Reading, besides having a literary colony, was to be literary in fact. It might have been mentioned earlier that Reading already had literary associations when Mark Twain arrived. As far back as revolutionary days, Joel Barlow, a poet of distinction and once minister to France, had been a resident of Reading and there were still Barlow descendants in the township. William Edgar Grumman, the librarian, had written the story of Reading's share in the Revolutionary War. No small share, for General Israel Putnam's army, had been quartered there during at least one long, trying winter. Charles Burr Todd, of one of the oldest Reading families himself, still a resident, was also the author of a Reading history. Of literary folk not native to Reading, Dora Reed Goodall and her sister Elaine, the wife of Dr. Charles A. Eastman, had long been residents of Reading Center. jeannette L. Gilder and Ida M. Tarbell had summer homes on Reading Ridge. Dan Beard, as already mentioned, owned a place near the banks of the Sagatuck while Kate V. St. Mauer, also two of Nathaniel Hawthorne's granddaughters, had recently located adjoining the Stormfield lands, by which it will be seen that Redding was in no way unsuitable as a home for Mark Twain. End of chapter 274. Citizen and Farmer. Read by John Greenman.